Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you on this Sunday morning. We are pleased to be joined by Professor and Archaeologist Richard Freund, the Bertram and Gladys Aaron Professor of Jewish Studies at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia, former University of Hartford professor. It's our annual Christmas show, which we do in memory of our friend Sam Gingerella, who was the longtime host of this program. Good morning to you, Dr. Freund. Good morning. Before we even start, I just have to, we have to remember that Sam uh, started this tradition about 20 years ago, and he had such a fascination with discoveries that we had made in, uh, in Israel. Every year we would sit and we would just talk about it. And I think that what was so interesting about it was his curiosity. And so this is the one thing that I think when listeners are tuning in to, to talk about something at, the, at this time of the year, they are interested to know what new information has been gleaned uh, over the past year. And we do this not only in memory of Sam, but in memory of the kind of curiosity that Sam had that I think other people share. So I'll start with the Dead Sea Scrolls. For those of you who don't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are and haven't been awake for the past 19, since 1947, in the caves along the Dead Sea in Israel, there have been found over a thousand different manuscripts of biblical, non-biblical, and totally unknown texts that were in caves that uh, span almost 50 miles of the Dead Sea area. But more importantly, 11 of those caves uh, were located around a very mysterious village called Qumran that was about 25 miles from Jerusalem, right on the Dead Sea. So they they started finding these uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, not by professional archeologists. People who lived in the area, we'll call them indigenous people that lived in the area called Bedouin, went into the caves, uh, sometimes against their will. They really had a tradition, a taboo 
about going into these caves. They had all these different um, uh, mysterious things that go bump in the night that they thought inhabited these caves. And so the locals did not go into the caves. Lucky for us, for most of the past 2,000 years, they did not go into the caves. But after World War II, there was a whole interest in these, in these caves. And the Bedouins started to go in. The, the story is that one was looking for a, a lost goat uh, and goes into the cave and discovers a series of manuscripts that are in clay pots inside of these caves. So that started in 1947. The identification of these early manuscripts was done by a Jewish scholar in Jerusalem in 1947. And what he discovered was these were the oldest manuscripts that have ever been seen of the Bible. And it was really a discovery that electrified uh, the religious world because the idea that there were manuscripts of texts, even texts that we knew, biblical texts, but also texts that we had never heard of that were found in these caves suddenly gave people a sense of how everything we thought we knew was not known yet. Because these texts started to show that there was a whole group of, we'll call them Jews, that were not like the Jews of Jerusalem. They were not like the Jews of the Hebrew Bible. They were not like the Jews of the New Testament. So these Dead Sea Scrolls started to tell us a whole story. And those, that story includes where Christianity came from. You know, a lot of people always ask me, so if the Hebrew Bible was what Jesus read, where did the New Testament come from? What it came from was developments of Jewish life that it continued after the Hebrew Bible was finished. Hebrew Bible was finished somewhere around the fifth into the fourth century BCE. And so when we're looking at the beginnings of Christianity, we're looking at something that's written, the New Testament especially, is written in Greek. And where is the transition? How do we know what happened between the end of the Hebrew Bible and the beginnings of, of Christianity? So what the Dead Sea Scrolls provide us are the transition between the Hebrew Bible and this new Greek-speaking, Greek-using group of Jews that became the circle of Jesus and then emerged as Christianity. So look, all the, all the Dead Sea Scrolls were basically found by the early 60s. Nothing had been found since the 1960s. But since there was a pandemic in Israel this past year, and they did not have the regular crews of excavations, including myself, 
uh, that could go to Israel and excavate. The Israelis started to mount special groups that went into the caves and did extensive work. And for the first time in 60 years, they discovered new Dead Sea Scrolls. And, you know, it's always interesting to find Dead Sea Scrolls because then you have to to figure out uh, uh, why they're in this specific cave. And I have a particular interest in one of these caves that they're working in. They're working in a cave that is located between Qumran and Masada. So for, for listeners who know something about Israel, this cave is located in Nahal Hever. Nahal Hever is about 25 miles south of, uh, of Qumran. And it was, it's, it was a cave that I excavated in 1999, 2000, 2001. And the Cave of Letters is located directly adjacent directly in front of another cave called the Cave of Horror. And we, we worked for three years on the Cave of, of Letters and we, we were asked to do the Cave of Horror. Uh, I'll just tell you, for those people who are listening and saying, uh, Cave of Letters, I can understand. They found, we've, we found the, the writings of a specific um, person who was a rebel in the second century of the common era. And we found his letters, uh, Bar Kokhba. So we, it's called the Cave of Letters, although there were other texts who were found inside the cave. But the other cave directly in front of it is called the Cave of Horror. And when I say in front of it, there is a separation of a 500-foot drop into a... Uh, uh, a dry wadi, uh, which is a dry riverbed. And in there, in this cave, which is almost inaccessible because you have to come down on ropes to get into the cave, we could not get our equipment because we use this ground penetrating radar. We use electrical resistivity demography. And it's so hard to get our equipment in unless we have uh, areas where we can actually get the, the uh, materials in. So anyway, th- this past year, in March of uh, 2020, uh, they actually started to, f- uh, to excavate a, uh, the Cave of Horror. And it's called the Cave of Horror for what you probably can assume. There were a lot of dead bodies inside. And not that we weren't interested in trying to uncover more information about these, these bodies, but we knew that in 1961, when an earlier archaeologist had been there, he had found only a few different shards, uh, pottery shards. He'd found all the dead bodies. And what he also found was a piece, a tiny piece of um, a Greek translation of one of the uh, book, one of the books of the Hebrew Bible. So it didn't look like it was going to be an extremely fruitful um, excavation. So we didn't invest our time and effort in uh, 2000, 2001, when we, we could have done it. Well, the Israelis did it during the pandemic. 
And to their credit, they came up with more manuscripts that came right out of there. Uh, one from the uh, biblical book of Zechariah and the other from the biblical book of Nahum. And what's interesting about finding these kinds of manuscripts, those manuscripts were found there were translations of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And, you know, when, when I talk to people about the transition between the Hebrew Bible and how we got to the Greek New Testament, it's always difficult for them to understand that Greek became not only the spoken language, but the intellectual language of uh, the Jews who lived in the East, not Latin, Greek. So, you know, the discovery of New Dead Sea Scrolls is, I think, a, a big story. And I think it also tells us something about the transition between the Jews of the Hebrew Bible and the Jews of the New Testament. So uh, that, that is, in my opinion, the biggest discovery. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We're talking to professor and archaeologist Richard Freund, formerly at the University of Hartford. The other discoveries uh, that were made in the past year are big of small things, meaning there are projects going on all over Israel where they found these very, very tiny, very tiny, some of them about two inches big, seals, S-E-A-L. A seal is something that somebody would seal a letter with. So what you had was a clay impression that you would, once you finished the document, you would seal the, the document with your clay bula, it's called. It's a, a, a small, very small piece, very hard because, of course, it had to uh, be used multiple times. But they found in the past year, because they, it's easier to do this by sifting, they found all these different names, biblical names, that are found in the Hebrew Bible. And all those seals give us so much new information about authenticating these uh, unusual, very unusual names that are found in the, in the Hebrew Bible. So that was a major discovery. And I'm gonna take credit for it, even though I wasn't there. The Israelis were excavating a site that I've been working on for 10 years. It's a site in the south, near the coast. It's called Yavne. And Yavne has a great affinity for, for Jewish people because uh, Yavne became the major home for rabbinic Judaism following the destruction of the temple in the year 70. So when people talk about uh, what is one of the most well-known cities uh, that is used as a, as a name for Jewish institutions? The name Yavna is used quite a, few, uh, quite a few times in the Jewish world. Well, anyway, we, we excavated 10 years Yavna. Actually, we did geoscience because we were trying to, to figure out what was there. It's a massive, massive 60-acre uh, uh, complex 
it goes on one side of the the, the uh, railroad to the other side of the railroad uh, that um, is located in in uh, the south of Israel, and it was for us it was a very interesting exercise because it's such a massive uh, tell, such a massive mound, and we were trying to figure out where uh, things should be excavated. Well, we did our own excavation. Other people did their excavations. And this year, they following up on uh, trying to build a new uh, rail line, they discovered that this area, Yavne, had the largest vineyard and winemaking uh, operation in the entire country right through the 5th and 6th century of the common era, meaning it was a really, really big deal. So um, in the first century, it was, a, it was a, an important site, but it was a site that became a really important uh, winemaking operation. And when I say winemaking operation, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of liters of wine. We're not just talking about a few uh, uh, clay pots with wine inside. It really was a massive uh, industry in this in this area. And, and uh, so those were the three big, huge, I would say, uh, discoveries. I'll also want to go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls for one other reason. I don't know if listeners know that in Washington, D.C., there has been built in the past decade a museum of the Bible. And the, um, the people who built this museum of the Bible on the mall, where every, every other large museum is located, have incorporated a series of very, very important archaeological discoveries that uh, they feel tells the story of the Bible. So in the past year, while people, while the, 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 all these museums were sh shut down because of the pandemic, um, they discovered that many of the Dead Sea Scrolls that they had acquired at the Museum of the Bible were forgeries. Now, uh, a lot of people don't think too much about um, how forgers do this, but we're talking about very, very, very sophisticated forgers who were able to acquire pieces of original manuscripts that didn't have writing on them and then actually do writing on them. So it was an extremely elaborate uh, forgery uh, that this uh, museum uh, had. And so at the beginning of, the, of, of our talk, I was talking about the discovery of new Dead Sea Scrolls found in their original location in situ uh, in, with good provenance. And then we have these <laughs> at the Museum of the Bible. We have these forgeries that, um, uh, that have been un uncovered. And by the way, to their credit, the Museum of the Bible decided to take these forgeries and turn them into an exhibit so they can explain to the public how it is forgers do these things. 
And so they, we should all be wary of antiquities that are possible forgeries. So I, I went on way too long, Aaron, but uh, I, I wanted to get through that. Well, in our final minutes, let's talk about the first Christmas. Sam always loved the story. And so, therefore, I am always happy to retell the original First Christmas. So first, the whole question is, what were Mary and Joseph doing? If Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth, and Joseph is Joseph of Nazareth, and Mary is Mary of Nazareth, and they're all from the Galilee, what were they doing in Bethlehem, a city which is uh, located south of Jerusalem, and many, many days driving on a, on a donkey to get to. What were they doing in Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus? So that is already the, the first indicator that this is a very, very special story, that this story has been extremely, extremely worked on to make sure that Jesus is coming from Bethlehem. And the reason why Jesus is coming from Bethlehem, because to be the Messiah in the Hebrew Bible, you must be coming from the city of King David. And King David was from Bethlehem. So part of the whole uh, story is that they were going down to Bethlehem for the census. So that's a very interesting thing because we know a lot about the Roman census. The Romans collected their, their, their taxes almost like we do, except in this case, they collect their taxes in the springtime, not in December. I think that it's, this has been something that the church wanted to, to make happen in December. What is a, the thing about the date? The 25th day, the 24th day of the evening, this holiday begins. Well, it just so happens that there is a very, very famous holiday that starts on the 24th of the month in the evening and continues into the 25th. And it's a holiday of miracles, a holiday that was well known as a holiday of miracles. It starts on the 24th and begins on the 25th. And it was a holiday where people gathered and enjoyed fellowship together. This holiday was called Hanukkah. And so what we think happened is that early Christians loved this holiday so much, they wanted to celebrate it in a unique way. So what did they do? They took the remnants of this Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, which involved lights. And, you know, a lot of people have always asked me, what is the... Uh, the deal with everybody putting up lights on their, their houses during, during Christmas. It, and it's called, by the way, one of the, the other names for, for Christmas was the holiday of lights. That it may have been something that was borrowed and then recast 
as the birth of Jesus. So when people ask me whether Christmas is the model for Hanukkah, I tell them that no, probably Hanukkah was the model that created Christmas. And it's only in the fourth century, by the way, for the first time that we learn on a Christian calendar that uh, Jesus was born in December. Very simple notation on an early calendar. He is Professor and Archaeologist Richard Freund, the Bertram and Gladys Aaron Professor of Jewish Studies at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia, and former University of Hartford professor. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. Happy holidays. I'm Aaron Kupek. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 